So in the morning, he rolls over and see that he's married the wrong woman. He's married the older sister, not the younger sister. The deceiver has been deceived. Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now here's Brad Hannock. Manna, it's good to be here. If you would open your Bibles uh, to Genesis 29, we're going to pick up the parable again, as they say. We're in the life of Jacob, and Jacob should be a very comforting figure to us. He's a rascal. He's incorrigibly self-centered. He's manipulative. He's a liar. He's all the things that human nature is in graphic detail, and yet God is going to use Jacob in marvelous, mighty ways, and he can use us the same way. So we're going we're gonna to take up the life of Jacob beginning in chapter 29. He's the grandson of Abraham, of course, the father of the, of the faithful, if you will, and the son of Isaac. And Jacob grew up in a dysfunctional family. As a matter of fact, we joked that he put the dis in dysfunctional. His parents played favorites. Uh, Esau and Jacob are twin brothers. And Jacob's father, Isaac, loved Esau, and Jacob's mother, Rebekah, loved him. So Jacob and Rebekah, his mother, conspire together to deceive and lie to their father, who is blind, Isaac is blind, and to blessing Jacob with the bulk of the family's inheritance uh, instead of blessing brother Esau. And Jacob, of course, as you know, pretends to be Esau. They go through this elaborate charade. Isaac winds up blessing uh, the wrong son. In his mind, he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. So Jacob, in essence, steals the family inheritance, both spiritual and physical. Esau is furious. He threatens to kill his brother, just like at your house, right? So Isaac and Rebekah get together and say, we have got to send Jacob away or we'll lose both sons. Esau will kill Jacob and then the kinsman redeemer will come along and avenge Jacob's death and kill Esau, and we won't have either son. So they get together, and finally Isaac and Rebekah agree on something. They've been married almost 100 years, and they've been at loggerheads uh, for quite some time, uh, just like many marriages today. So they agree to send Jacob away 550 miles, Rob's going to show you a map, northeast of Beersheba, where they are now, uh, up to Haran, which is uh, in the region of Mesopotamia on the Tigris-Euphrates River, where Abraham's family originally came from. So this Haran area is where Abraham came uh, over a century before and where Isaac and Rebekah are going to send Jacob back to get away from Esau, number one, and then number two, to find a godly wife. So if Jacob walks, let's say, 15, 20 miles a day, this is about a month-long plus or minus uh, journey. He's not only getting away from Esau, he's, he's been instructed, you're going to seek a wife from your mother's family, very specifically. Now, it's about time. He's 77 years old. He's still living at home with mom and dad. You thought that launching children was tough, you know, the boomerang generation? He never left. 77. Brother Esau was married, he's married two women already uh, at, at 40, and Jacob, 37 years later, still not married. So Jacob's walking north, and about three days into this journey near the city of Luz, as we talked about last week, he's got a vision of a ladder that goes all the way from earth to heaven. He sees angels moving up and down that ladder. And in this vision, God speaks to Jacob directly, and God promises him three things. The same three things he promised Dad Isaac and Granddad Abraham. He promises them the land of Canaan. He promises them an extensive set of descendants, and he promises to bless the entire world through his own descendants. So Jacob's very reassured and comforted that God is with him. He worships God, names the place Bethel, house of God. He then moves on up to Haran, and he's got a very different attitude. When you look at the text here, chapter 29, verse 1, it says, Jacob went on his journey 
The, the Hebrew literally means he picked up his feet. So it's a very different attitude as he walked around. It's almost, I don't know if you'd call it joy, but he knows that God is with him and God has a plan for him where he is going. So he, he comes to Haran and he just happens to come to a well or a cistern with some shepherds waiting to water their sheep, and then things start happening very quickly. It's going to become very clear that God has directed his steps to this very specific place to meet these very specific people at this very specific time. If you want a biblical reference for a divine appointment, you got one right here. So when you have divine appointments, we've got biblical precedent. Go to chapter 29, verse 4. Jacob comes up to these shepherds and he says, My brothers, where are you from? And they say, We are from Haran. Number one. Number two, he says, By the way, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they say, Yeah, we know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they say, It is well. And even more, Rachel, his daughter, is now coming with the sheep. Here's the principle. You'll love this one. We need this one. God guides and provides even when we fail to pray. God's plan do not depend on us. Our plans depend on Him. God guides and provides even when we fail to pray. God's plans do not depend on us. Our plans depend on Him. So Jacob is walking and he just happens to come upon these shepherds, and they just happen to know everyone that he's looking for. What a coincidence. Four, right, four answers, four, right, four questions, four right answers, bing, 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 bing. So Laban is Rebekah's brother and Jacob's uncle. So Jacob wants to know how Uncle Laban's doing. They tell him he's well. And his daughter Rachel's coming right now with the sheep. She's a shepherdess. So Jacob and Rachel are first cousins. God had promised him at Bethel, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Sure enough, Jacob now has empirical proof that the Lord is leading him exactly where he wants to go. And you and I have all had divine appointments. Most of the divine appointments in our life we miss. We dismiss, right? We say, well, it was coincidence. Or, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, you're just ready to fall asleep and you go, oh, yeah. The Lord just, but we missed it. But you get it at 11 o'clock. That's fine. As long as you get it. So Jacob sees Rachel, and he is so smitten that he flexes his 77-year-old muscles, and he moves the large stone from the cistern. Now, this is not a well like a spring. This is a cistern. It's a water storage place for sheep. And they protected it. It's like an oil well. It's valuable. Water in the desert's really valuable, so they have a very large stone guarding the mouth of this well. And Jacob moves that and waters his cousin's sheep, even though she's the shepherdess. And then it says he kisses her and starts crying. That would have to be some greeting, right? have to say, a kiss was an appropriate greeting for a relative, so I guess this is the first example in a Bible of kissing cousins. I didn't invent that. I stole that from some commentator. Yeah. So Jacob is obviously a passionate man. By the well, by the well, by the way, this water was not Jacob's to give away. The cistern belonged to somebody else. But he's so impressed with Rachel, he's going to open the top up and water the well anyway. So Jacob breaks convention here. He breaks convention because he kisses her before he introduces himself, which is a bit shocking, right? So, I mean, he, Jacob is very impulsive, and he's very passionate, but he's not yet a praying man. It's fascinating to me that not once after he leaves Bethel, not once in the 20 years he's going to spend with Laban in Haran, does Scripture ever record Jacob praying? Ever asking God for guidance or ever thanking God for his protection? And yet we will see God move on his behalf over and over and over again. And that's why I said it's a good thing that God is faithful even when we're flaky. And that he acts on our behalf what is in our best interest even when we fail to pray. I just contrast this. A hundred years before, 
Abraham is looking for a wife for his son Isaac. Isaac is 38, 39 at that point in time. And Abraham is going to seek a wife for Isaac. I want you to contrast that the way Jacob is looking for a wife for himself. Abraham's servant Eliezer shows up to Haran 100 years before. And he has a 10-camel caravan. And he's instructed his servant Eliezer, My son is not to marry any Canaanite pagan woman. You are to get a wife from Canaan. I mean, from Haran, from my hometown. And he sends a caravan with 10 camels loaded with gifts as a dowry for Rebekah's family. Jacob is a lion, scheme, and thief, and he shows up because he's separated from his family. He shows up with nothing. He's empty-handed, and he's a fugitive from his brother who's trying to kill him. When Abraham's servant, 100 years before, reaches the outskirts of Haran, he stops the camel train outside the city, gets down on his knees, and prays his very specific prayer that God will show him exactly the specific woman that God has chosen for Isaac to marry. Jacob shows up. He hasn't prayed. He doesn't pray. He's impressed with Rachel's looks, and he kisses her before he introduces himself and steals somebody else's water and waters her flock. When Abraham's servant discovers who Rebekah is, he falls down and thanks God for leading him. Jacob is trusting his own eyes, just like we do, and he likes what he sees. Abraham wants a godly wife for Isaac, and Jacob is interested in a gorgeous wife for himself. By the way, beauty is a blessing, but character is crucial. You can write that one down. Beauty is a blessing, but character is crucial. Mother Nature and Father Time go and take care of your beauty. But character is the one thing in life that can get better with time if we walk with Jesus. Now, we don't discount physical attraction. Physical attraction is a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing. But i got to say, spiritual compatibility and godly character are far more important in a marriage than external appearance. That's just life. Jacob is looking on the external appearance. He should have been looking at the heart, and we're going to find out what happens as a result of that. But the good news is, is, even though Jacob has failed to ask God for direction, God has guided Jacob to precisely the exact place he wants him to be. Here's a big difference. God's plans for Jacob here at Haran and Jacob's plans for Jacob here at Haran are vastly different. Jacob thinks he's finally escaped from his past life. He wants to seek a wife and start a new life. Jacob thinks he's getting away from all his troubles and trials of his past life. In reality, his trials are just starting. Jacob reminds us of the high school senior who's so sick and tired of mom and dad's rules that he goes out and joins the Marine Corps. <laughs> it's going to get harder, not easier. See, Jacob wants to change his circumstances, and God wants to change Jacob's character. And those are very different goals and very different processes. Jacob's goals are temporal, and God's goals are eternal. Jacob wants to marry, start a family, operate a prosperous ranching operation, and God's plans for Jacob include all that, but far more than that. See, God's big plan is he wants to redeem humanity from their slavery to sin. And God's plan in the Old Testament was to set aside a specific covenant people who will represent him on earth as his ambassadors. And through that people, God will speak to the, to the nations of the world. And God will ultimately, through this people group, send the Messiah who will redeem the people from their sin. God's plan, using this next 20 years, is to shape Jacob into the spiritual leader of God's people on earth at this time. And if you look at Jacob's character at this point, you say there is a vast gap between his current character and behavior 
and the character and behavior he's going to have to have if he's going to be the leader of God's people on planet Earth through whom God's going to send the Messiah. Matter of fact, God's people on Earth are going to be named after this guy. We're going to find out in a few chapters, God's going to change Jacob's name to Israel. And God's people will be called the sons of Israel. This guy. And when you look at his behavior, you say, wow. Big difference between where he is and where God's going to have him. God knows that right now Jacob is a self-centered, manipulative con artist. And God also knows that to shape Jacob into the spiritual leader that God has for him, God's got to enroll him in a spiritual boot camp. And that spiritual boot camp is going to last 20 years. So when you look at what God is doing in your life, he's not finished, right? He's never finished until we get home to heaven. Jacob needs to learn, above all, the number one lesson that he needs to learn is that God hates deceit, and Jacob is a liar. And the best place for Jacob to learn how God feels about deceit is God's going to hook him up with a master deceiver who's his very own Uncle Laban. Remember that Laban's sister Rebecca, Jacob's mother, is also a master con artist. She lied to her husband and had been doing it for years. Jacob learned how to lie from his very own mummy. Kind of makes you wonder what kind of home Rebecca and Laban grew up in. They both turned out to be such good liars and taught their children, as you're going to see. So God has determined that Jacob is going to get his necessary spiritual medicine from his very own family. I think God has a sense of humor. You know, the application here for us is real simple. Even when we don't pray God is faithful, and even when our life doesn't make sense to us, it's because we don't see what God sees. We only see our point of view, right? We see how something impacts us and us only, and God is looking at a far broader perspective. He's looking at how our behavior impacts other people. He's looking at what he wants to make of us. We say, well, he had a plan for Jacob to be the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He has a specific plan for you. And for him to accomplish what he wants to in your life, he has to shape your character to be what? More like Jesus. We know that, Romans 8. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So he will do whatever it takes to make you and I more like Jesus. He will do whatever it takes. Our obedience is what determines whatever it takes. It took 20 years for Jacob. I hope, well, I'm Jacob. It'll probably take, it'll take God the rest of my life. Now, you want to know what God's point of view on something is? You've got it in your lap. You wrote it down. You just need to read it and ask him to guide you. Let's pick up the narrative of verse 12. So Jacob has come, he's kissed Rachel, he's watered her flock, and now he tells her who he is. Verse 12. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And so she ran and told her father. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Here's the principle. God often uses difficult people like sandpaper to shape us more like Jesus. I didn't say we were going to like this principle, but it's true. God often uses difficult people like sandpaper to shape us more like Jesus. So Jacob stays with Laban for 30 days. And that was pretty normal hospitality for a near relative. And during that time, Jacob told Laban the reason he was there why he had left uh, Beersheba and come to Haran to seek a wife. And during that 30-day period, Laban also was watching Jacob's skill as a shepherd and what a valuable addition he was to his ranching operation. And even more importantly, during that 30-day period, 
Jacob fell in love with Rachel. You know, when you look at Jacob's life thus far, he's got to be feeling great. He's come safely to Haran, very dangerous territory, 550 miles walking, no incidents other than meeting with God. He's 550 miles away from his brother who wants him dead, probably won't chase him down. He has excellent job prospects with his uncle who likes him and said, you're my bone and my flesh, and he's in love with the boss's daughter. I mean, what else, what else would you want? When everything seems to be going your way, that's a really good time to pray. That's when we don't pray because we think we have it dialed. I got this. Everything's under control. I'm large and in charge. I don't need any help. Right. When we don't think we need to pray is when we need to pray the most. And in the 30 days, Laban wants to formalize a working relationship with his nephew. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Rachel's eyes were weak, but Ra Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better than I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Here's the principle. God arranges our circumstances to accomplish his purposes. It's not about our comfort about godly character. God arranges our circumstances to accomplish His purposes. Not about our comfort, it's about, his, about godly character. Let me give you kind of a context, the socioeconomic context of this time in this region. This region is largely warmer, drier, more arid, and it was large in agricultural economy. And they didn't grow fruit trees by and large, unless they were by a river. It was a pastoral landscape. They raised flocks and herds, primarily sheep, goats, and cattle, because they, they could live in that kind of environment. So that, that, that was the farming climate, if you will. And flocks and herds supplied meat and cheese and milk and wool and hides and so forth. So the, their livelihood was from animals, and that's really what they made their living from. And virtually all labor during this era was hand labor. And if all labor is hand labor, you know the social implications of that are large families are really, really valuable because children are free labor until they leave and go home. So many, many children meant more hands, managed more herds, more flocks, and more wealth. Now, when children grew up, they married and they began new families. But there was no government social security. There was no pension plans, and your adult children, specifically your adult sons, were your old age Social Security. Because when you could no longer work on the ranch, they would feed you and let you live until you went and departed this life. When daughters married, they left you as their parents and moved to their groom's family ranching operation. All children born to that new couple worked on the groom's ranch, not you, your ranch. So the bride's family would always economically have a loss because they would not only lose their daughter, they would lose her children and the labor that those children would provide on the ranch. And therefore, the parents would lose the security of the next two or three generations to care for them. So they worked out a dowry system, a bride price system. The groom's family compensated the bride's family with pretty substantial gifts in exchange for their economic loss. That's why Abraham sent 10 camels worth, pretty extensive dowry, for Rebekah. And it's one of the reasons why Laban's family was willing to let Rebekah go to this unknown 
relative called Isaac because they saw the wealth that Abraham had brought as a dowry. And they said, he's obviously doing well. Isaac will provide for our daughter, even though she's going 450 miles away. The gifts were evidence that he was going to be a responsible husband, right? And care for their, their daughter and their sister. So that's kind of the economics. A month goes by, and Laban wants to put Jacob on the payroll. And he asks him to name his wages. And it thinks, man, that's pretty good. The uncle says, what are your wages going to be? Shall you serve me for nothing? But I want you to understand, Laban's very clever. Laban literally says, because you are my relative, shall you serve me for nothing? Notice who's serving who. Laban's putting Jacob on notice that he will be in charge. Jacob is the son of a very rich man. But he's alienated from his wealthy family, and he comes to Haran and to Laban's homestead with nothing. I don't know what his work ethic was like. Apparently, it's pretty darn good, because it sounds like he's a very diligent man. But Jacob wants to marry Rachel, but he came to Haran with the clothes on his back. He has no dowry, he has nothing. So he offers to pay the bride price, the dowry, to Uncle Laban with seven years of labor. And for Laban, this is a really good deal. Jacob has real shepherding skills that apparently he needs. At this point in time, we're not sure whether he has sons or not. You know he has two daughters. One of them is already working as a shepherdess. Sounds like he might be shorthanded. So it's obvious to him that Jacob not only has skills he needs, but Jacob is crazy in love with Rachel. He's not going anywhere. And Jacob is the one who said seven years. Laban didn't extract that price. That was something that he offered. Now Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And the name Leah means wild cow. And the name Rachel means you, E-W-E. -E. I guess dad really liked animals. Specifically, cows and sheep, right? So Leah is described as having weak eyes. And usually when you read the commentators, she really gets a bad rap. They're going, oh, she was wearing Coke bottle glasses, etc., etc. The word weak eyes here really has nothing to do with vision. The Hebrew word here is rak, R-A-K, and it's usually translated as tender, frail, gentle, or delicate, right? Leah may well have had gentle eyes, and Rachel's eyes might have been more fiery and more sparkle and more fire. And the word eye in the Bible refers to much more than the physical eye. The word eye in the Bible is often, it's described as the windows of the soul. You know, when you look into somebody's eyes, you see into their soul, into their heart. And if Leah had weak eyes, tender eyes, gentle eyes, it may well refer to her character as being gentle and tender and compassionate and caring. And Rachel may have been more aggressive and more volatile. The only description we have of Rachel is a physical one that says she was beautiful of form and face. Jacob's initially attracted to her physical beauty. And matter of fact, that's all we know of her. We know nothing of her character yet. If you contrast this, Rebecca was selected by Abraham's servant based on her character and her servant heart. You know, remember when Eliezer shows up uh, to her family homestead to chat with them? He says, Lord, I'm going to come, and the woman who comes to the well and waters my camels, that's going to be the sign that that will be the one you want me to marry. You want Isaac to marry. So Rachel, or Rebecca, comes and not only waters him, I mean, she brings him water from the well to drink, but she says, let me water your camels. That is not a small task. There's 10 camels, and a camel, after a stint in the desert, can very easily drink 50 gallons of water in one setting. 10 camels is 500 gallons of water. Water weighs 8 pounds a gallon. That's 4,000 pounds of water, 2 tons of water, and you do it with a bucket. This is a lot of labor. Rebecca is obviously a hard worker, and she has a servant heart. She's willing to serve this stranger by doing this, and Eliezer is blown away. 
because it's a direct answer to prayer. So Jacob says, I'm going to serve you seven years for your youngest daughter. And Laban agrees, kind of. His response is really vague. He doesn't specify Rachel by name in this agreement. He says, you can marry her. And you, with, a, with the benefit of hindsight, you go, well, which her was he thinking about? See, we really don't know whether this con artist is thinking seven years in advance and going, hmm, maybe we'll do a deal here. We're not sure. However, Jacob is so in love that seven years seem like a few days. And this is really a testament of God's grace and the power of love. By the way, true love really is a gift from God. Don't discount it. I know we smile in our cynical culture and say true love doesn't exist. Yeah, it really does. And when you experience the real deal, it changes everything in life. And by the way, we think, well, true love only has to be between spouses. I think that's true, but don't tell me your grandchildren don't love you truly. And don't tell me your grandchildren's love doesn't change things. Amen? Real love in any form, friend, spouse, grandchildren, family, changes things. It's a gift from God. And even though Jacob is going into a 20-year boot camp, he doesn't know it. God has a plan. God blesses him with the love of his life. Because real love changes how we perceive time. Real love, it, it, it strengthens us to endure hardship. Real love inspires us to do things that seem impossible. Jacob's in boot camp, but his love for Rachel sustains him. And the seven years are up, and you know, it, it's one sentence. The seven years seemed to him like a few days. There is enormous meaning packed into that one simple sentence. After the seven years are up, Laban apparently doesn't do anything. He's just hoping, apparently, Jacob will forget and keep serving. So Jacob has a little conversation with Laban about their deal, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that's kind of the direct approach, for my time is completed that I may go into her. That means I want to have sex with her. That, that's, that's the literal. Verse 22. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went in to her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. Verse 25 is one of those verses in the Bible that you just can't. It's astounding. It came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done for me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Here's the principle. God uses the painful consequences of our past sins to shape our character. What you sow, you will surely reap. God uses the painful consequences of our past sins to shape our character. What you sow, you will surely reap from the book of Galatians. See, God forgives the eternal penalty of our sin. It's forgiven. But we still have to live with the temporal consequences of that in this life. Here's why. If God took away all, the sin, all of sin's consequences on earth, and you could sin and there was no consequence, what would we do? We would probably sin more, not less. Correct? So God wants to teach us the awfulness of sin here on earth so we don't have to live with sin's awfulness for all eternity in hell. So that's why sin doesn't pay. God wants sin to cause us to suffer so we will not sin. So we will learn to hate it and not tolerate it. God wants to teach Jacob some very important spiritual lessons. Jacob's now 84 years old. He's a little past middle age. He actually lives to 147. Rachel is significantly younger. And I know this is going to sound incredible to some of you. We know that she dies in childbirth with Benjamin 20 years after she met Jacob. 
she's at that point in time, she's probably no more than 45. Probably at the max. She didn't give, I mean, the life expectancy wasn't that long. Jake was blessed. So Rachel probably now is about 25, plus or minus. Jacob's 84. He's waited seven years to consummate his marriage, and he doesn't say to Laban, give me Rachel. Probably should have said that. He says, give me my wife. And that may have given Laban a little wiggle room. Weddings in that era lasted seven days. Big feast. Major social events, a lot of eating and drinking. And in that era, brides were veiled out of modesty. And I don't mean this little bridal veil that you see brides wear that is a see-through. These veils were significant. They always covered the face, and many times they covered the entire body. After the wedding ceremony, of course, Laban escorts Leah to the bridal chamber where Jacob is. She's probably about the same size as Rachel. It's night. They didn't have LED lights. Candles didn't throw much light. She is heavily veiled, probably dressed in Rachel's clothing, probably wearing Rachel's perfume. Jacob's not only passionate, he's probably been drinking. So in the morning, he rolls over and sees that he's married the wrong woman. He's married the older sister, not the younger sister. The deceiver has been deceived. In God's kingdom, the punishment always fits the crime perfectly. Think about this. Jacob has deceived his blind father who couldn't see. And now Jacob has been deceived at night because he couldn't see. Son Jacob deceived his father Isaac into blessing the wrong son. And now the bride's father has conned Jacob into marrying the wrong daughter. Jacob cheated his brother out of the rights of the firstborn. And now he gets cheated because it was the right of the firstborn daughter to be married first. Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, had staged an elaborate ceremony to steal a family blessing from Esau. And Rebekah's brother, Laban, and his family have staged an elaborate wedding ceremony to steal years of Jacob's labor. What goes around? Bigger, badder, later. Now, here's what's really troubling. When I study this, it's obvious to me that both daughters are in on the con. And they know about dad's schemes and they agree to them. We don't know if Laban threatened to disown them, if they didn't comply. We don't know if he bribed them. But it seems pretty clear if Rachel did not want to go along with dad's plan, she would have warned Jacob, by the way, it won't be me that night. Dad's already said he's going to put Leah in my place. Just be aware. We don't know why she didn't say anything. We don't know the details. But I can imagine Laban has already thought about this, and he probably secured Rachel's agreement by telling her she's going to be able to marry Jacob within a week. He already had a plan. Because she knows the custom of that area. You always married the older daughter first. Rachel knew that. So did Leah. It's obvious that Leah loved Jacob and was willing to marry him, even if he didn't love her. She was willing to go through with it. God had put Jacob in the place of his father Isaac. So Jacob and feel what it's like to be lied to by your own family. Jacob had lied to his mother and brother. Now he's deceived by his own uncle. And even worse, he's been deceived by both sisters and both of them he's marrying within seven days. You couldn't write a sitcom <laughs> or a tragedy or a soap. Amazing. Jacob has got to be saying at the end of this week, who can you trust? What's the message, Jacob? You can only trust God. Here's what's utterly stunning. Jacob says, I'll serve you seven years for your daughter Rachel. Doesn't pray about seven years. Falls in love with Rachel because she's gorgeous. Doesn't pray about whether he should be loving or marrying her. 
He's making decisions on his own, and he's laying a trap that God is going to use to teach him to trust the Lord and stop trusting his own cleverness, because Jacob is a very clever man. Nothing teaches us like a dose of our own medicine. Jacob's very hot, confronts Laban, and when you look at this, it's pretty clear Laban's rehearsed this scene before he's got an answer right up top, verse 26. But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service with which you shall serve me for another seven years. Jacob did so, completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. Here's the principle. Spiritual maturity takes time. And God knows exactly how long it will take us to learn the lessons he is teaching. Spiritual maturity takes time, and God knows exactly how long it will take us to learn the lessons he is teaching. It's remarkable when you look at this, you say, Jacob, you should have known the custom of the place was to always marry the older daughter before you married the younger daughter, right? Here's the truth. Laban was starting to get worried that he might not be able to marry Leah. She was getting a little old long in the tooth, right? By the way, when you're in your mid-20s in that area, that was long in the tooth, right? Life expectancy wasn't exactly 75, 80 years. We read about the people that lived a long time. You don't read about the multitudes that didn't live a long time. So she was, you know, once you lost childbearing ability in that era, your value economically went down. It was like having a shepherd that was crippled. Well, they might know a lot about sheep, but if they can't be out with the sheep, their economic value is limited. So it was a very tough culture at that point. You had to produce at that point. So Laban figures, I can marry Leah first, and using Rachel as bait, I can con Jacob out of another seven years of labor. Slick guy. And you know something? It worked. Jacob agreed to seven more years of labor in exchange for the right to marry Rachel at the end of this wedding celebration. So Jacob and Leah are married, and there's a week-long celebration. The first day they're married, Jacob confronts Laban, blah, 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 blah. They cut a deal. Laban says, at the end of this week, when you get done with the celebration with Leah, you can marry Rachel. So he marries two women, both sisters, within seven days. Does that strike you as wise? Wow. Jacob is reaping what he has sown in order for God to teach him the spiritual lessons he needs to learn in order to be the spiritual leader God wants him to be. God was not, I mean, Jacob was not expecting a 20-year boot camp. That's what it turned out to be. He worked seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, and we're going to find out in a couple weeks, six more years for his own flocks and herds. I'm intrigued that God never hurries the training of his saints because he has an eternal timeline. Have you ever gotten impatient with God's timing? Yesterday, Brad. You know, have you ever said, God, could you speed this up? Whatever it is you're doing, could you hurry it up? This is painful. I would like to be through with this pain. Matter of fact, I would like to be done with pain forever. Of course, the Lord says, we got a place for that. It's called heaven. When do you want to come up? And you go, whoa, 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 hang on. I want pain-free down here. In this life, you're, there's not going to be pain-free. That's just life, right? We live in a broken planet. But God doesn't do instant holiness. His timeline's eternal. Joseph spent 13 years in boot camp. 11 of them as a slave, 2 of them as a prisoner. 
and he went from prisoner to prime minister in probably three hours. Wow. God can promote you when he wants to, but first he has to teach us what he wants us to learn. And you never hear Joseph complaining during that 13-year period. Remarkable. Moses spends 40 years in court, the heir apparent to Pharaoh's throne. Then, after he kills an Egyptian, he has to run away for his life, and he spends the next 40 years on the backside of Mount Sinai in the Midianite desert by himself, squeezing sand between his toes, and shepherding sheep. Forty years. He said, well, he lived 120, Brad. Well, that's still a third of his life. Right? Now, he didn't know that at that point. 120 years was an extensive period of time before God uses him as the deliverer to lead Israel out of Egypt. David, going to be the king. He spends more than a decade as a fugitive from crazy King Saul before finally getting anointed king at age 30. Jacob is going to spend 20 years under the thumb of his greedy, thieving, lying, stealing Uncle Laban to train him to be the patriarch God wants him to be. God has you and I in situations, circumstances, and difficult people right now that most of us would like to be rid of, right? You would say, Lord, if you love those difficult people so much, why don't you just take them to heaven right now and you can live with them? And so I don't have to. Of course, they are praying the same thing about you, so, you know, it's, it depends on it. Here's what's intriguing. Let's suppose that Jacob had not deceived his father, had not stolen from his brother, had trusted the Lord to give him the blessing in his time, would the 20 years have even been necessary? Of course, the answer is we don't know that. But it's terribly comforting to know that God's purposes for Jacob were not thwarted by Jacob's disobedience. In the same way that God's purposes for you are in my life will occur because God uses even our failures to accomplish his purposes. No one can thwart God's purposes, but if we disobey, we can miss out on the blessing. And we might wind up with discipline that we didn't need to get had, when we, had we been obedient earlier. You know, we can do it our way. You, by the way, that is always your choice. You have free will. You can do it your way, and you can suffer the consequences. Or you can do it God's way, and you can enjoy his approval. Right? It's your call. Much better to ask God to teach us than to submit to his lesson plan. But see, old habits die hard. And we're going to notice that when Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, he proceeds to do what? Exactly what his parents have done. What did his parents do? They played favorites. One of them loved Esau, one of them loved Jacob. What does Jacob do? He plays favorites. He loves one wife more than the other wife. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you love the one, hate the other, despise one. Monogamy is a really good idea. Polygamy is disastrous for marital relationships. The human heart is hardwired for only one true love. And most of the time you get one per lifetime. There are exceptions. God is gracious. We know a number of people that have true loves more than once if the Lord takes somebody home or even through divorce. The grace of God is remarkable. But in our culture, we don't practice parallel polygamy, you know, more than one spouse at the same time. We practice serial monogamy, one right after the other. Pa-ching, 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 pa-ching. That's what we do as a culture. The result is the same disaster. So the life of Jacob should instruct us, but it also should comfort us. Jacob is so human. He's so self-centered. He's such a conniver. He's such a schemer, just like us. His life is comforting because we serve a God whose plans are designed with our frailties in mind. God's plans 
are going to be accomplished. And amazingly, he invites us to work with him in accomplishing his purposes for planet Earth. And he knows what we're like, right? He knows we're like Jacob. He knows we're sinful, fallen people, and he loves us anyway. God's going to use Jacob in some remarkable ways. We'll find out in the next few weeks, almost in spite of Jacob's own will, and God will use us the same way. This week, some of us, like Jacob, are going to forget to pray. We will. We'll fail to pray this week. Some of us this week are going to encounter difficult, deceptive people who we'd like to get away from, but God is going to keep those people in our lives to teach us what we need to learn, and you might be married to one of them. Some of us this week are going to experience hard circumstances. Some maybe even painful circumstances. Some of us might experience painful consequences from past decisions. I want you to know that no matter what that is, God is in charge of it and God will use it for good because His grace covers all things, including our past. And most of all, this week, most of us are going to become impatient with God's timing. The holidays do not make us more patient, do they? The holidays present us with a bigger to-do list. i got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, time, 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 so we rush. And in the middle of all that, we need to remember God's plan for us is eternal. And His plan for our family is eternal. So when we look at that task list of present and gifts and food and fun and all that other stuff, Remember the eternal point behind Christmas and the lessons that God has for us from the life of Jacob. Tom is going to come. I'm going to just give us a quick review while Tom comes to lead us in our prayer and praise. Point number one for review, God guides and God provides even when we fail to pray. God's plans do not depend on us. Our plans depend on him. Number two, God often uses difficult people like sandpaper to shape us more like Jesus. Point three, God arranges our circumstances to accomplish His purposes. It's not about our comfort, it's about godly character. Number four, God uses the painful consequences of our past sins to shape our character. What you sow, you will reap. The good news on top of that is the grace of God covers that. And lastly, spiritual maturity takes time, and God knows exactly how long it will take us to learn the lessons He is teaching. Love you all. Now that you know... Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to Podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.